0: Hi and welcome back to the show. Today I am talking to Alan Hosking. It's a great conversation. We talk all about the future of work which is really one of my passions. So Alan is the publisher of HR Future which as it says on the label discusses the future of HR, the workplace and uh, staffing and all of that good stuff. It was a really good conversation. It was a very wide-ranging conversation. As you can imagine, everything has been turned upside down over the last two or three years in terms of workplaces, how to organize people, uh, how to get the best out of them. There's the great resignation. There's so much going, going on. And of course, COVID and remote work and global employment and things like that. So really good conversation with Alan. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs, and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 thousand outsourcing firms representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Alan, welcome to the show. Tell us about the future of HR. Thanks, Derek.
1: The future of HR is actually very exciting as far as I'm concerned because it's becoming a lot more human. Whereas we once had, from the after the, the Second World War, we had a command and control leadership style that has dominated for the past 50, 60 odd years. And with the uh, pandemic, I've seen it act as a tipping point where empathy, compassion and uh, qualities like that are now coming into leadership. And that's why I'm seeing it as a very much more exciting thing today.
0: It's it's really changing, isn't it? And I don't know if it's because I'm getting slightly older now that I'm now thinking, oh, these young kids, it's all changing. It's all changing so fast. Um, but certainly since covid Everything seems to be changing so fast. And also when we had, you know, we've had the move to remote, of course, which COVID forced everyone into. Um, and then we had the great resignation. And it seemed that a lot of the power was shifting from the employer over to the employee. Is it? Is it, do you think it's changing so much faster these days? Or, or is it me just getting a little bit older in my ways? <laughs> I, 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 I,
1: I share your pain there. I think it's a bit of both. <laughs> Um, you know, change is inevitable, and you know people use these catchphrases of "the only constant is change," etc. But it is picking up; it's it's the, the, the pace is increasing all the time, and and I think that is just about and, and the complexity is also increasing. Uh, if you think back to you know hundred years ago, life was a lot simpler, a lot quieter, a lot slower, and today there's just so much coming at us. So yes. And and individualization, you know, the personalization of things. You're talking about the the, the balance of power shifting from the employer to the employee. And uh, those who are saying, "Mm, no, I don't like that. I'm not interested in that job anymore. Um, You know, the the, the talent, talented people are able to pick and choose what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And if, if you really want to get talented people on board, then you've got to, you've got to offer them what they want. Purpose is also becoming an important thing now, too, because with with COVID, people died. We had so many people dying. And I have had people, family members, uh, who um, uh, passed away as a result of COVID. I've had friends, I've had colleagues. So it's it's made me think a lot deeper about life and the meaning of life, and I think that's happened worldwide, as people are realizing, you know what, I could have ended my life here. and Why am I doing what I'm doing? And that's what, what I think played a role in, in many factors, but one of the roles that it played was in the, in the uh, Great Resignation, where people thought, you know, this is, this is not what I want to do with my life. I'm going to look mm-hmm. for something else. So it's been a fascinating evolution that's happened over the last three years.
0: And I, I've been observing this, and, and I'm just sort of at, at some point kind of aghast, standing there sort of with my mouth open going, wow, like the the requests of the employees now seem to be extending and extending, and especially with the whole the rise of the, the woke culture, and then there was the sort of politically, the political organizations, and then whether organizations could remain agnostic, or whether they had to really become politicized, um, and and, you know, and then, of course, the great resignation and working from home and all these conditions. And it seemed that none of the conversation was actually around work and getting the work done. And I don't know if this is just sort of a modernization to the point where humanity becomes so um, enabled that that work is something that you do on the side. But going back to its roots, work was never fun. And work is sort of a hopefully a win-win kind of trade where you trade your time your expertise your output for money which you then go and sort of fund your life um is that is does that still fundamentally hold true or do you think as we sort of evolve into the newer uh, sort of generations that it will be beyond a sort of um, commercial arrangement
1: Probably the pendulum will swing to, to an extreme, which it's, it's doing right now, and I think then sort of move back into a, a middling position. And uh, there, there will a balance will come, um, because everybody's reacted, and in some cases, we've overreacted. And then I think that that, that balance will start coming, and there will be a settling down of things again. So I'm, I'm not too phased about that. I think that the human being is a, a wonderful creature that has an incredible ability to survive and indeed thrive. And I think we will make it through this quite okay. Um, what will come out of it is a lot um, smarter ways of doing things, um, a, a, a broader mindset, as you were saying, in terms of work. Yes, work wasn't supposed to be fun. And, and the typical approach prior to COVID was, it was already starting to change, but, but you know, to generalize, it was a case of, you know, you're yet to do a job. We're not interested in your personal life now. Leave that out of things here and just get on with what you're doing here. And that, of course, mm-hmm. is, a, is an, the hangover of the Industrial Revolution, where people were just seen as, you know, hands and, and, and the bums in seats and hands to do things. Whereas now we're needing their creative ability. We're needing their intellectual capacity a lot more. And that then, of course, is affected by their emotional well-being and their mental well-being. So if that's out of sync, then their intellectual capacity gets affected. So that's why all of these things are so interdependent.
0: Mm. And it becomes a lot more, the relationships become a lot more delicate because, as you say, if you just need some laborer for their physical capabilities, you could work them until they drop. But if they if a knowledge worker or a creative, if they're not feeling right on that day, then none of their work could be of value. And so it becomes a lot more sort of delicate, doesn't it? It, it, almost like sort of um, racehorses, you know, you've got to treat (laughs) them, kind of get them right into the right feeling. Otherwise, the whole productivity could be lost.
1: Well, uh, it's a very good uh, analogy that you use there with racehorses in terms of the high performer. Um, They are... There are resources and, and you're right there, but you know, you, you mentioned the word relationships and I'm finding that that is becoming a lot more significant today because back in the days of the, the old command and control leadership, you told people what to do. You didn't have to, there was no question about having a good relationship with etc. cetera, just do this and, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. Now that's no longer applicable. So now you've got to build relationships because the quality of the relationship determines the level of your influence in people's lives. So with command and control, you didn't need influence because you just instructed people to do things. Now leaders need influence. And the way that one of the ways that you get influence is by developing relationships with people. You know, if you just sort of put your hands behind your head and sat back and, and looked at your own life, you, you look at the people who have influence in your life. Um, You know, people like partners, uh, family members, children. When we have our our children, why do we walk the floor at night with this little being that squawks in our ear all the time? Mm. We think, is this never going to end? Relationship. We will do things for them based on our relationship. And we have no expectation of any thanks in return. So that's why relationship, relationship, relationship is becoming one of the major currencies in leadership today.
0: And I see a little bit of an irony there because, you know, and I I completely agree with you, but the whole movement towards remote, and I've just read uh, another book on remote, um, and consistent with remote generally is that, you know, it's even asynchronous uh, and they generally... Look down on any form of meetings, you know. To be truly asynchronous, everything should be written down, and so you don't need to meet. And it sort of panders to more of the introverted nature of the, you know, one side of the workforce. And um, but then you've got to wonder if if you're just sending emails, and you know, where is that connection? Where is the influence? Where is the relationship building if you're never even meeting? And and that is a scary future if because it almost then reduces the work, you know, before it was a social workplace and um, everyone was realizing that it's a holistic view of work and life. But if you remove work to just do the work, we're not even meeting, there's going to be no, you know, conversation other than the product. It becomes a little bit of a sort of scary um, pendulum swing, doesn't it, I suppose?
1: Very much so. And I think that there again, there's going to become a a correction where people will see the folly of their ways. At the moment, um, a lot of people have uh, enjoyed the so-called freedom and quote-unquote privacy that that working from home has has afforded them. And uh, I think that we as human beings, we're social animals. And Mm. even if we don't want to talk to people, it's just nice to be in in a restaurant where there are other people around us. And we hear the hub and the buzz of of, of uh, conversation. So I think that that is going to come back. At this, again, the pendulum will swing back again. Um, I think also that it's important for companies to uh, um, work on relationships. Uh, this thing of just saying, well, you know, let everybody just do their own thing and we'll sort of check in every now and again. It's not going to work. You know, we no. need to connect with one another. We need a feed of one another. Ken Blanchard. Uh, the the management guru, he said something which uh, spoke so to me. He said, none of us is as smart as all of us. And it's Mm. that collaboration. When we, you're smart, I'm smart, but when we put our heads together, we come up with something that's smarter than the the, the individual uh, intelligence that we each have. So I think that collaboration requires relationship. It requires interaction. And if companies are serious about, tapping into the intellectual capacity that's available to them, they're not going to just turn everybody loose and just say, well, you know, each to his own and let them do whatever they want to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because it almost creates, we've got a lot of momentum from the old culture that was pre-COVID where people used to hang out together. So I'm sure there's still this kind of... Um, what there's juice left in the tank of culture and relationships. But if, if everyone started from scratch and there were no existing relationships, then it becomes, you know, and everyone's working remote through a computer screen, it becomes a pretty isolating sort of future, doesn't it? Um, And as you say, like, you know, is it really then a company if you just have a lot of people, um, producing for the company, but they have no identity, they have no relationship to the people, it, it would be an interesting kind of uh, challenge.
1: Yeah, I, I shudder to, to think uh, what could happen if we allow that to just become our future. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's about the cross-pollination of ideas. Um, you know, you and I having a conversation, you make one comment, that just triggers something in me and it takes me off in a completely different new uh, uh, route that I would not possibly have ever considered before. And it's those little interactions that I think that are so important for creativity, for innovation. Uh, you know, with innovation, it's the what if. What if we were to try this? What if we stopped doing this and started doing that? What if we turn this around? It's, it's the whole what ifs. And as we start posing these questions to one another, we start feeding off the ideas of each other.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key point, as you said earlier, is like we are fundamentally social beings. And, you know, there are terrible studies that, that showed you know, if you starve animals or people yes. of, of social interaction, it, it ends very badly, very quickly. And so I wonder if, you know, if, I don't know, it, it maybe there's short-term sort of gain in not having to commute to an office, but there's kind of long-term loss that people really aren't factoring in. Uh, and, you know, I, I sort of look at that, again, I don't want to be the sort of disciplinarian here, but I... I I exercise and I go to the gym, but I find it very hard if I don't go to the gym to exercise and to get motivated. And it's because you go to that place to do that thing and there's other people doing that thing. And I sort of fear for the younger generations in their early 20s that are expected to work and be productive from their bedroom in their pajamas without the sort of social context of, um, of a workplace. It's tougher.
1: Yes, and, and I think that, you know, you make a very good point there about that. Um, the burden, therefore, rests on those who, who understand these things. And it's, it's on the more experienced, the more mature who've been around the block a couple of times and, and, and know what the future lies, what, what lies in the future for us if we just sort of isolate ourselves, etc. And it's for them to make interaction desirable. And, and 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 worthwhile, and that as we involve the youngsters, they say, you know, this was this, this great. We, we must do this more often, and mm-hmm. that's where you want to get them to, where they start seeing it as fun. But I don't mean fun in a in a, um, a superficial way. I just mean that it's fulfilling, and they enjoyed it, and it motivates them, and it gives them a sense of greater purpose to achieve more. And, after all, that's what we're all, it's all about. You know, what is work about? It's about performance, about profitability. And uh, if, if we're not going to do that, well, we may as well just go home and pack up.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a sort of life lesson that we all have to go through. Like the, the easiest things in life are never the best things in life. And often... That you know, the the truly valuable things in life come as a result of a lot of hard work and a lot of friction, and a lot of pain. And um, it's true, isn't you know? And if if everything is just super convenient, and you know, you don't have to go into work, you don't have to commute, you don't have to meet new people, you don't have to grow professionally, um, I, I I sort of fear for the for the um, the overall outcome of that. It's it's potentially scary. Huh?
1: Now, there's another deep truth that you you've touched on, Derek. Um, and that's about um, the, the fact that resistance builds things. you um, mm. we were talking about going to the gym. How do you build muscle? <laughs> Through resistance, by picking up weights. So resting a muscle, in fact, causes it to atrophy. If, I mean, talking about resting it, just you know, never using it. Um, mm. that, that's not a good thing. Uh, I once, when I was in my final year at Varsity, um, I, in the, the, the end of the academic year, with the zero writing final exams, and I bumped into Auntie Daphne, who was a friend of my mom. And Auntie Daphne said, "Hello, Ellen, how are you?" Because that's how she spoke. <laughs> and um, I, I, as a typical young student, I said, "Oh, Auntie Daphne, you know, I've got so much work. I'm busy writing my finals, and you know." I, and I remember literally these were the words I said. I said, "I feel like I've got this big black cloud hanging over me." And she listened very politely to me. She said something to me back then that I've never forgotten. She said to me, Alan, when you encounter difficult times like this, you mustn't let it get you down because a calm sea never made a good sailor. That's right. and mm-hmm. I found that is so true. You don't learn sailing skills in the flat water in the harbor. You learn it out on the high seas where the wind and the waves and the storm and everything's trying to take your boat down. And that's yeah. what sale so there is merit and and I'm not saying that we must you know go looking for pain that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying we must see um, resistance as part of our growth it makes us stronger and makes us it's it's
0: essential I think isn't it and uh, listening to uh, Joe Rogan he he said you know and he's a big tough guy like gets in fights and all this sort of stuff but um, he says the hardest thing you've ever faced is the hardest thing you've ever faced, which is interesting because you know when a when a teenager is having a meltdown because they've just yeah. had a drama at school, yeah. because it's it's the only hard thing that they've faced. Um, it's then the hardest thing that they've ever faced, and it takes facing a lot of hard things and going up against a lot of really difficult things that you build your fortitude. Uh, and it's it's a, yeah, it's. And, so, and, and, more- and
1: in, the same, in the same way that you're talking about the teenager having the meltdown, um, the parent who's been around the block a couple of times said, oh, you know, don't worry, it's not, good. It's not that bad, etc. trying to console them. Why? Because the parents dealt with those types of things before. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my sense is, uh, and, and I get questioned on this, this statement, I often say, leaders, you can't lead someone further than you've gone yourself. Because if you've only gone to a certain point, you've never pushed yourself further. You can't take other people further than you've gone. And that's why it's so important for us to um, treat the the, 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 the the challenges that we encounter through our work, through our life, as positive things rather than say, ah, here's another issue that I've got to deal with. No, this is going to teach me things. I'm going to learn things through this. And as we do that, we have this growth mindset and we we uh, prevent ourselves from aging prematurely. Because when you get to the stage we think, oh, no, I'm too old for this, I'm too old for this, Now this is all new stuff. New information is not necessarily difficult, it's just new. So mm-hmm. we, we've not been aware of it before, and it's not that it's something that we won't be able to understand. And that's why we need to continually push ourselves and expose ourselves to, to new uh, content
0: yeah it's out of the it's pushing yourself out of the comfort zone and you know this is what's because with the remote i'm sort of beating up on remote work i i am actually you know a huge supporter of remote and global work but i i do i do worry about all of its impacts but um you know the 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 argument for remote work is you can have your social life with your friends and your family and things like that and then you do your work with your work but where you need that resistance and mentoring and coaching within a professional setting that will be absent and your your parents your siblings your friends can't provide that mentoring in a professional capacity you need professional people to do that and so I, I wonder if you know if people are just staying within a sort of home-based silo they're definitely going to miss out on that kind of um, professional, development, you'd think.
1: They will indeed. And that is why uh, the burden rests on those in leadership positions in companies who are employing these people, albeit um, on a remote basis, or be it on an outsourced basis. It's in your interests to ensure that you connect with that person, that they feel involved, that you include them. You know, that whole thing of inclusivity. Uh, we talk about um, diversity being a case of in inviting people to the dance. But inclusion is being asked to dance at the dance. And it's about including people, making them feel included, making them feel part of the operation, part of the team that then gets them to to volunteer things and say, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? Have you thought about that? And that's when you, you've got them.
0: Mm. Yeah. So we should, of course introduce you you are you're the publisher of HR future do you want to give us some context as to as to what that site is and and the you know your thought behind it
1: very much so hr future is intended to help companies and their people prepare for the future of work we've been doing it for 20 odd years now 21 uh, 22 coming up now years i've uh, started in 2001 um, long before anybody else was talking about the future, I just spotted that the future was going to become more and more significant. And uh, we have uh, sourced content from, we source content from around the world, uh, authors, um, academics, subject matter experts, thought leaders, etc. Put it into our digital magazine, we have the digital magazine, and then also we have content on our website. Um, But it's really just intended to uh, keep people fresh to expose them to fresh uh, content to stimulate their thinking to get them to to think those what-if questions you know, as they read something. When whenever our brief uh, contributors, I will one of the things that I always say to them is, put into it not just nice to know things, but what can they do if they were to say, well, you know, I need to go off and do this now. What is it that they could do? So it's very much a practical thing of giving them ideas that they can. Apply in their own workplaces.
0: Mm. And do you, uh, you know, every workplace is different, but are you a subscriber to to one sort of methodology in particular? Is there, you know, if I was a sort of a, a founder looking for solid advice, would you say, look, remote is the way or um, workplace is the way? And do you, you know, is there a sort of, uh, um, I suppose, I don't know, um, quorum of advice that you would give to run a successful organization, or is it really dependent on, on the organism?
1: Probably the, the last point that you made, they depended on the organism. Uh, I think that it's, it, it's horses for courses. Um, one can't say, yes, you have to make this um, a, a virtual or a, a, a remote, or you have to have this on an in-house basis. Um, it could be hybrid, and hybrid could take many different forms. Um, some, some companies are, uh, in terms of they've uh, approached the hybrid uh, um, model by saying, well, they, they'll have the last week of every uh, month, everybody comes into the office. Um, some people have a company, uh, people coming in on a, a Tuesday and a Thursday, and so on and so forth. So it takes different forms. But I think that it's whatever is going to work best for a particular uh, company. And they must must experiment. And part of innovation is being comfortable with the fact that you're going to make mistakes. And those are not necessarily mistakes because of incompetence. Because I think that's, we, we make the mistakes, excuse the pun, of thinking, well, if an error is made, it's, it's a result of incompetence. That's not the case. When you are walking through the jungle and you have no compass, no GPS, no map, you don't know where you're going and you're going to go walking along and end up coming to a massive cliff and you find, oh, well, we can't go any further. So we're going to have to turn back and we're going to have to double back and we're going to have to find another route. And that's what innovation is all about. It's it's There's no clear-cut plan that's laid out for us with the highway. Um, Jim Collins spoke about, you know, getting, he talked to CEOs and said, this is also about 2001 or so when his book came out, he said, you know, you are the driver of the bus and you've got to get the right people on the bus. And CEOs were all running around saying, yeah, you've got to get the right people on the bus, you've got to get the right people on the bus. And that was great for its time. But the bus analogy is no longer as relevant as it used to be, because the bus requires a highway. And a highway is easy to drive on, because you can see where you're going. Now it's a case of the buses to stop. Everybody's got to get out the bus, and as I say, they've got to walk through the jungle with no map and GPS, et cetera, and find their way. And we're all, in a sense, together, but on our own in that. And it's as we try this and try that and find okay that didn't work so we won't try that again. we try this, oh wow, that's that did work very nice. That's very effective. So it's it's putting those things together. And of course failing fast and and and, and getting on from that, getting over that and not you know living with all the, the carrying baggage. No, ditch it. You you can't you can't be agile if you're carrying too much baggage.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I often find I often say that, you know, startups looking for product market fit is which is kind of the first stage of a business, is is like feeling around in the dark. But even you know, even once you've established that, businesses are always feeling around in the dark, aren't they? They're always sort of trying to find that next step or trying to decide how to manage their teams better or different or more efficiently. It's um it's a lot of and then that spurs Evolution, doesn't it? That's that's how you grow. That's how you progress.
1: Indeed, you know, and I think that you, we've got to become comfortable with that feeling around in the dark, as you put it, um, which is quite the ca- the case. Um, hindsight is an exact science. We can look back and we can see exactly how we should have done things. But going forward into the future, it's anybody's guess. And uh, you know, does the future exist? Well, yes and no. It consists of uh, infinite possibilities. So in that sense, it doesn't exist. But yes, it does exist in trends that are emerging in the present and if we kind of start seeing where this trend could possibly go and lead to that then gives us an inkling into what's coming in the future
0: and Alan how have you seen the evolution or awareness of uh, of outsourcing but more broadly global employment and obviously you know with the move towards remote work and you've probably observed as well these big peos getting a lot of funding from silicon valley like deal and remote and uh, rippling to a degree um, all sort of sort of potentially opening up this concept of global employment instead of localized employment and as well you know it's probably worth saying you're based in south africa and that has a very vibrant outsourcing sector as well so over your you know 22 years in this industry with this publication. How, how have you seen the awareness of that grow over over nearly um, 25 years?
1: I think that it's very much like a, 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 a passenger airliner that's taking off on a runway. It started off very slowly and it's increasingly picked up speed and with the last three or so years, one doesn't want to attach everything to, uh, attribute everything to, to COVID, but I think that did provide a tipping point to increase the speed of the outsourcing where everyone was forced to work from home. Um, not because of choice, but in a matter of two weeks, we were all working from home. And I think that just made people think, what if we were able to continue doing this? So th- there, there is a, 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 a lot to be said for the efficiency of working from home, um, reducing traveling time, and, 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 and uh, it's just about us as, a, as, a, as a, a, a workforce now finding the most effective and efficient way of, of managing this in the long term. So, there are going to be lessons that are going to be learned. And we probably will, as I say, with hindsight, you know, in a couple of years' time, look back and sort of with embarrassment think, look how we did this or we shouldn't have done that. But that's part of, of human nature. And it's a, it's about us finding our way. And I've, I've got a great uh, a belief in, 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 in mankind's um, ability to, to cope with adversity and to deal with issues. And I think that as we adjust, tweak, our, our model we're going to find that it's going to become quite um, sophisticated and that things will be put in place policies procedures that will be put in place which we don't have just yet um, that will make it more manageable and um, efficient and effective
0: I I sort of projecting forward for another 20 years I, I see a what I refer to as a sort of global single global workforce. And I I think that it will become default, not necessarily to adopt remote, but to search and select for candidates and talent um, just from a single global talent pool and basing your selection on capability and quality and cost as opposed to where they are sitting um, to be the major determinants. And do you, do you see that happening? There's a lot of other people that think, you know, you know, with troubles in China and Russia and everything is going to splinter and we're only going to talk to our own country again in the next five or ten years. Do you, do you see, what's your view? Is there an inevitability that we're heading towards sort of a single global workforce?
1: Yes, I think so. I think an inevitability, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Because I think that with the the, the remote working it, it provided that awareness of uh, for, 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 for us as a workforce to say, you know, we can do this. And because I'm working from my uh, uh, country here doesn't mean to say that I'm now confined to only working in a physical way. I've got to drive into an office. I can work it for, with anybody around the world. Uh, I'm sure that's the same as what you're doing. I'm communicating with people all around the world all the time. and uh, And that's nothing special. Other people are doing it all the time and it's become... I see the, the workplace that used to be my own country when I started out, and it's now become the world. So I talk mm. to people right across from Australia through to, to Canada, uh, America, on a daily basis. And it's quite cool. And of course, yes, we've got different time zones, but you know what? Everybody's become used to that now. So we know that it's it was well, 3 o'clock in the afternoon when you and I started. It's 9 o'clock in the morning here with me. We were all cool with that. Not a problem. And I think that um, it's going to... the the, the, the the global workforce now enables us to pick and choose. And, and it's all about that diversity as well, because the diversity of ideas, diversity of skills, diversity of perspectives, uh, ways that people approach things. You can, you can then become a, a lot more richer in the way that you uh, offer your, your um, services and your products to your market.
0: It's exciting, isn't it? Because it just becomes this this massive melting pot of potentially eight billion people that can, uh, you know, collaborate and uh, add value. With with HR, though, you know, it, it is a sort of uh, what is it? It's kind of a uh, you know an area involved in culture and um, sentiment and feelings and communication. Um, and as you bring sort of you know, it was difficult enough when you were dealing with sort of a homogenized group of people from the same town that spoke all the same language with all the same cultures. How is it going to play out when you're dealing with, you know, potentially a company that has staff across 150 countries with different communication and cultures? Um, That'll be hard to navigate for for the CEOs of future, yeah?
1: Very much so, but they will go on a steep learning curve and they will learn to manage that in the same way that we've learned to manage things that w- were previously thought impossible in the past. Um, so, I again, I'm quite optimistic about that. I think that uh, they're going to see that as an asset in terms of their diversity of cultures, as you mentioned, uh, cultures and perspectives and, and worldviews, etc. That's an asset to you because you've got access to more views there. And that's why it's so important to ditch the command and control because the command and control is a case of I who am the smartest and know all, I'm going to tell everybody else what to do. Now it's a case of, no, come on, you guys, what do you think? What do you think? Um, You've got, you're you're much more of an expert than I am on such and such a thing. Give me your views. And then because I have, I'm comfortable with my vulnerability where I don't have to feel that I've got to be the smartest person in the room all the time, I'll say, that's an excellent idea. Let's do it. And I don't think, well, you know, I never thought about that. So people are going to think I'm stupid. No, we go, that, that's why it's so important for us to develop things like the empathy and the vulnerability and so on and so forth, so that we can better manage all these complexities.
0: When I was about 20, I actually read a book called Maverick by Ricardo Sandler. Have you? I don't know if you've heard yes, of that. Yes, yes. Um, that, that was absolutely so impactful for me, and it was really before I started a business or had employees, um, but that had a f- huge impact. And sort of I suppose the summary of the book is that it, it's it's very non-management. It's it's sort of dismissing any command and control and treating every individual within your business as the adult that they are um and his theory is that businesses can run so much more efficiently if you um, give people autonomy and it's incredible what he what he particularly does um you know and i've tried to implement it but it is hard isn't it because i don't know it it's almost like um there's i suppose the risk of it ending up like herding cats and everyone's running in completely opposite directions and It's it's very it's it's very difficult to implement, but I I certainly aspire to it.
1: You're right, and you know that the the difficulty um, presents us with a challenge. So it 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 is difficult to herd cats, and and we people are so different. Just when you think you have seen everything, along comes someone and does something that you think, well, I haven't seen that before. So that is the, the the the. the, the um, advantage of being human because people will come up with things, they will come up with solutions that have never been thought of before. Uh, and, and as we come up with those solutions, which we don't think of today, some bright youngsters is going to come up with something that's going to sort out an issue that we've all just lived with and thought, well, you know, we just got to put up with it. So I think that we've got to be consciously optimistic and by choice, because the alternative is not worth considering.
0: Yeah, and that's probably a good segue. I mean, you, you talk about sort of the benefits of humanity, but um, there's, there's a big wave now of AI, and everyone's talking about chat, GPT, and there's a lot of powerful tools that are coming into the workplace and funnily enough you know i focus on outsourcing and it always seems you get so many comments saying oh my god this ai is going to kill the outsourcing industry i don't know why particularly outsourcing is any more vulnerable um but everyone thinks it's going to kill outsourcing um but what have you seen in terms of ai and how do you see that impacting the the workforce and how we conduct ourselves at at work
1: You know, you're right that there are probably going to be some jobs that will fall a victim to AI, um, being replaced by um, artificial intelligence. Um, But I think that there are also jobs that are going to be created. And in the same way that, you know, the Industrial Revolution, where imagine those people that were putting things together by hand arrived one day to find they'd been replaced by machines. Well, you know, life has gone on and other opportunities have, have opened up. So I don't see AI as a threat. I, I see it as something that is going to enhance. And, um, for example, there, there are second-generation AIs that are coming out now that can be used very much in outsourcing. So they become an outsourced tool. Um, and, uh, I, and I see a, a good future for artificial intelligence. Again, there will be a, a balancing and a correction um, as we as we learn what does work, what doesn't work, and as we do that, we'll become a lot smarter at managing the process.
0: And have you seen any particular AI tools? I mean, we were talking just previously about you know it's no longer because Chat GPT. And do you have any feelings about Chat GPT? Obviously, you being a publisher and being very deep in terms of the the content world, um, do you see that might change? things fundamentally, or do you just think it's another tool for the toolkit?
1: Um, change in what way, uh, what
0: do? Well, I don't know, in, term, in terms of journalism, for one, like, you know, can ChatGPT replace a uh, journalistic sort of process? Um, and will it change how people consume content if they think that you know, there can be computers out there just churning out pages and pages of content. Do you think it could sort of fundamentally sh- uh, change the, the way the content is structured?
1: It will. I'm sure it will influence the way content is structured. But, uh, and, and one should never say never. But um, I, I think that we, you can't really yet replace the human mind there are things that our brains do and connections that we make that just defy logic and um, artificial intelligence that is data driven um is 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 limited to the data that it sources and and uses um whereas a, a human brain can come up with an idea that's got no basis in, in terms of logic so I, I, I'm not too phased about it being a threat um, it will influence absolutely you're right but um, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a present a problem
0: amazing and so I suppose like what do you see 2023 or maybe maybe the next two to three years out? How do you see HR changing? Do you see major waves? Do you see this sort of remote thing or AI, or do you just sort of, you know, you've been around long enough that it's it's really just an, another year of the same but different? <laughs> How do you see the future of HR?
1: I think that what we're going to see is right at the beginning when I talked about a much more human future. I think that there's this 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 shift. Um, and it's a settling down after the pandemic. Uh, so there's going to be a little bit of correction, um, a little bit of improvement in the, in certain things. But I, 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 I believe that 2023 is going to provide us with, an, you know, 20 when 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 the the pandemic hit we all went into panic mode etc we then you know 21 22 we've been recovering and i think we are sort of like getting our head above the water now so to speak the, the surface and started to think clearly again and started to rebuild so i think it's going to be a time of rebuilding a time of renewal and a time of rethinking as well where we say well you know we used to do it like this well Maybe we should think about, again, the what-if questions. What if we were to try this or what if we were to try that? So I, I think that you know, it, it's difficult to predict and say this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Um, just the way trends are moving, uh, HR people are going to be required to be a lot more astute uh, from, a, from an emotional point of view. You know, industrial revolution was a focus on skills. People will hired for their skills, not the intellectual capacity. It's what they could do in terms of their skills. Now it's about skills and qualities. And, you know, I talked about the, the empathy and the compassion and the vulnerability. Those are not skills. Those are qualities. And so HR's challenge is going to be de- helping people to develop the qualities that are needed apart from the skills. So it's not either or, it's both skills and qualities today that are going to be uh, desirable in the workplace.
0: Yeah, it's, it is fascinating, isn't it? And, and you know, I think it's changing so fast and uh, it will uh, be fascinating to see how it evolves. Uh, thank you so much, Alan. If anyone wants to know more um, about what you do, uh, and of course they should check out your website, HR Future, but... What would you suggest? How, how can they get to know uh, the site or you better?
1: Uh, they can certainly visit the site, as you as you mentioned, HRFuture.net. And they can also email me at Alan, A-L-A-N, at HRFuture.net. I am always welcome uh, w- w- conversations with uh, people from around the world. So I would love to chat to anybody that would like to be with me.
0: That was Alan Hosking. He is the publisher of HR Future. As always, if you're on any of the show notes or if you want to get in touch with Alan, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to reach out to us, just send us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.